We are uh, diving into the next installment of our uh, series on Romans, and, um, and, and so uh, uh, in just a little bit, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 8, so if you have a Bible or a personal handheld device or something that you brought your, uh, your uh, Bible on, I'd uh, love for you to, uh, to, to look that up and read it. Um, you know, we'll be putting it up on the Jumbotron here, but, uh, but I could print anything and put it up there, so if you've got it in front of you, you make sure that I'm, uh, I'm on track as well. So as we, uh, as we look to God's word today, I, I'd like to talk, out, uh, uh, talk first uh, a little bit about hope. Uh, we live in a, uh, we struggle today, I think, in having hope. There's, there's people that, that struggle and it seems like more and more, maybe we're just hearing about it more and more. Uh, people struggle with anxiety and, and fear and, and depression. Uh, we want peace, but many times we worry. Uh, things seem to be in turmoil, whether it's in politics or in national security or in, in relationships or, or finances. And, and, and we wonder sometimes, where does the peace and the hope come from? My therapist told me that the way to achieve true inner peace is to finish what I start. So today I've finished two bags of chips and a chocolate cake. I feel better already. We have to be careful where we put our hope. We can't necessarily put it in a bag of chips or in a chocolate cake. Uh, we, we also can't put our hope in someone or something that, uh, that will let us down. I was reminded this week of a, of a story told years ago by Milton Berle. He, he said that four widows were sitting in the uh, retirement home uh, playing cards around the card table when, uh, when a good-looking older gentleman walked in carrying suitcases. And uh, one of the uh, widows uh, said to him, well, what's a good-looking man like you doing in a place like this? And he said, I'm moving in. And one of the other widows said, oh, really? Well, where are you from? And uh, he said, well, I've, I've been in the can the last 15 years. The can? Yeah, the can, the slammer, the clink, the state penitentiary. The other, one of the, the widows then said, well, well what, what did you do? And he said, well, I murdered my wife. And I am not sorry about it. She had it coming. There was a pause, and then one of the widows said, so you're single. <laughs> we have to be careful who or what we put our hope in but we still need to live with hope. We can't, we can't just uh, be devoid of hope. So many things, so many people, so many situations let us down that it's very easy for us to get to this place where, where we just despair. Uh, without hope, life becomes filled with dread, uh, worry, trouble. I'm here to tell you this morning on Easter Sunday 2016 that we can indeed have hope even in this trouble-filled world where we live. Have you ever done the, uh, the, the little flower thing? We don't have any. Uh, go ahead and put that picture up there. Yeah, the little he loves me, he loves me not thing. Anybody ever done that before? Does it work for you? Because I, I don't know that. You, you pull the petals off. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. But I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it doesn't really prove anything, right? I mean, it's, it's a fun little thing to do. I'm not sure where it ever got started, but um, it's, it's really just guessing at best, right? He loves me, he loves me not. I mean, you could do it 17 times and uh, come out with, with a different answer every, every other time, I suppose, right? Um, if, if you have to do the flower petal thing, I mean, I'm just thinking here. I, I'm wondering if 
he really, he or she really does love you because you're having to guess. Uh, if, if he really did or she really did love you, you wouldn't have to do the little flower petal thing because you would know. There would be evidence, there would be proof that they indeed do love you. In a dating relationship, that proof might be seen in time spent together, uh, phone calls, emails, texts, uh, all those kinds of things, loving words, uh, gifts that are given, commitments made to each other. Maybe you change that little uh, uh, thing on your Facebook page that says, in a relationship, right? I remember when I first got Facebook and uh, uh, put, uh, you know, I said that I was married to Rebecca, and then, of course, it go, all goes out. Pete Ryder married Rebecca, Got several people saying, congratulations. I was, you know, I was finally making it right here. That's good. Uh, there, there's evidence usually. We're, we go public with this relationship. There's evidence. If, if, it's, a, if it's a relationship that, uh, that, that, that truly is a loving relationship, there's, there's proof. We've been, as I said, we've been looking at the book of Romans uh, on Sundays lately, and, and Romans is actually a letter, just to, to kind of catch us all up to speed, Romans is actually a letter written by a missionary named Paul uh, about 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. It was written to a church uh, that was in the city of Rome, uh, really the, the, the political mecca of the, uh, of the area of that time uh, where, where uh, you know, Rome ruled the day. And, uh, and this church had been around about 20 years or so. Paul had never been there, but, uh, but he had heard about them, uh, about their, their, uh, their belief and their faith in God and their, their strength in the midst of that. And, and, and so, uh, in this letter that Paul writes to this church in Rome, it's really just filled with uh, these foundations of, of Christian beliefs. Uh, t- today is, is actually a pretty significant day in, in this study. Uh, you've, you've come on a good day uh, because, uh, because whether you've been here uh, for all the other sermons leading up to well, that's great, that's good, but, uh, but, but today kind of summarizes all of that and kind of almost brings to, and not kind of, it does, brings everything to a climax of the whole first half of the, uh, the, the, the letter to the church in Rome. Paul does, uh, does some summarizing, and as he does that, he actually asks a lot of uh, rhetorical questions. So we're going to read it now, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This time of year... A lot of people start rooting for teams, for, for basketball teams, from schools that they've never heard of before. It's uh, the NCAA college basketball March Madness. If you're like me, you took your bracket and threw it away, uh, you know, after the first round. 
But uh, we're almost down to the final four now. I think there's, uh, there's what, six teams left, two more, or four more will play today to whittle it down to two, and final four is, is, is right around the corner. But the first couple rounds, and it was true again this year in amazing fashion, uh, the first couple rounds, we always see these upsets, and, and you know, uh, you know the, the, the team that's not supposed to win upsets the team that's supposed to just blow them out, and it's just a, just a, a crazy thing. Uh, it's, before last weekend... People didn't know that there was a university in Middle Tennessee, but Michigan State knows it now. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, they say from the rankings this was the third biggest upset in tournament history when Middle Tennessee beat uh, beat Michigan State. And and I know that you've all heard of Yale, but uh, you know we didn't probably know they had a basketball team, right? Um, and yet. Uh, Baylor knows now that they have a basketball team, and they really gave Duke even a run for their money. Uh, and there are a whole lot of other upsets. It's, it's fun to watch the crowd. I like watching the crowd because, you know, they're in there for a couple of games, and they're there for their one team, but they, they get on the edge of their seat when one of these upsets is about to happen. And they start cheering for the underdog, and pretty soon, 90% of the crowd, all the ones that, that, that came there for somebody else or for this team, they're, they're all cheering for this team. And then the, 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 the other folks uh, that are cheering for the team that's supposed to win... Uh, they're they're kind of quiet and sitting on their hands. Well, they, the energy kind of changes in there, and and this team that they didn't even know existed the day before now they're rooting for them with uh, with all their might. But so that's one kind of fan. You're 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 rooting for this team that's oh yeah I hope that they do this and that would be cool. And but but you can always tell the true long term fans right. In Cleveland, you see it haggard on their faces, right? <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, that's a whole other story. Uh, but but you see it in in any kind of you go into the stadium or, or whatever, and you, and you see these these uh, folks that have you know their faces painted and and they're dressed in various amounts of team swag, and they've just got it all together, and and their their banners are flying and their flags are waving, winning or losing, it's their team, and they're behind that team no matter what. There's no question who, who they're rooting for. Everyone can tell. I was always uh, a little embarrassed and probably, if I'm honest, a little bit proud of the fact that my mom uh, in, in high school always ordered the big button from the, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the sports pictures and pinned the buttons of my brother and I to her coat. Um, win or lose... I knew that my mom, my parents were were on our side. Uh, they were they were going to follow that team whether we won or lost. It was that was that was just it. It's not just in sports, basketball, uh, high school sports, whatever. But but it's not just in sports. If if for whatever reason you've ever needed a lawyer, uh, th- then you know what it means to have someone on your side, someone who is fighting for you, someone who is your advocate. They're they're experts in the law and they're helping their clients navigate the judicial su- system. The, they represent the interest of their clients. So someone's in your corner, on your side, right? Uh, the government is supposed to be representing us, right? I'm not going to dive into politics. We're not going to go there today. But but uh, let's just recognize that, that the government of our country is is uh, of the people, by the people, for the people. And so, in theory, we elect folks that are going to represent us and and our uh, our best interest, uh, working on our behalf for our good. A whole lot of other uh, illustrations, I'm sure. No matter what it is in life, you can tell when someone is on your side, when they're pulling for you, when they want you to succeed, when they want you to do best, your best. 
You know who has your back. You, you, you know who wants what is best for you. Maybe that's your, your, your family, your parents, your grandparents. Maybe it's your friends, your coworkers. You know who is for you, right? All of those examples help us to understand uh, this concept, but they all break down at some point as well. I mean, government lets us down and teams lose and, and lawyers might lose your case or, or uh, family members might disappoint us sometimes. But, but the truth in, in this passage in Romans, uh, there, there's, there's four little words that summarize how God feels about us. It's really the essence of the whole Bible, if we would we'd boil it all down. But uh, you, need to, you need to hear it today. If you don't hear anything else, four words. You're going, well, Pastor, you're preaching an awful long time for just four words. Well, they're just that important. Four words. This little phrase wraps up everything that Paul has been saying uh, in Romans, eight plus chapters all the way up. It, it comes to this. God is for us. God is for us. God is for you. God is on your side. He is more than a fair weather fan. God is for you. You can trust him. It's actually part of a question here. I, if you were following along, if you, you read that, uh, Paul actually asks a question here. He says, if God is for us, who can be against it? It's this rhetorical question. And again, this whole passage is, is lined with them. The answers are, are very clear. Uh, he says, if God is for us, who can be against it? Now that word if really uh, could should be translated since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Paul has just spent page after page after page in this letter laying out the evidence. He says, man, we're, we're sinners. Uh, we deserve punishment and death. Uh, but God sent Jesus to save us. Uh, Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus, Jesus uh, pays the penalty for our sins. God adopts us into his family. We've talked about all these things. All of that and more is, is summarized then as we come to this phrase, since God is for us, who can be against us? All of this evidence comes to the culmination, God is for us, so no one can be against us. Nothing can be against us. The emphasis isn't about getting an answer to the question here. The answer is obvious. No one uh, can be against us. The, the, uh, the, the The... the foundations of uh, of all foundations in, the, in this entire letter has been building up to this. God is for us. God is on your side. God is cheering for you. Uh, God is more than just cheering for you in the stands. God is on your team. Uh, God, the supreme being of all the universe, has your best interest at heart. God is for you. You know, in a lot of religions, God is unknowable. God is distant. God doesn't seem to care a whole lot about uh, human needs. Many religion, religions worship this distant God, maybe even uh, an impersonal God. Maybe God is just kind of this general sense of morality or decency or, or maybe just a, a creator that has, has created the world and set things into motion but then has stepped back and isn't really involved in life or, or how things work. And uh, A lot of religions, God is unknowable. But Paul's God, the Christian God, our God, the God that we believe in, the God that the Bible talks about is completely different than that. Our God is this, is at the same time both higher and nearer than any of those other gods. God is greater than anyone or anything and he also invites us to call him daddy. He's both higher and nearer. He is on your side. He is for you. How do we know that? Just a couple of verses later, we see that Paul says it's because of Jesus. 
How do we know that God is for us? What's the proof? How in the world can, is, is it, well, sure, it's, it's all leading up to this, but, but, but what is it? What, what is it that proves that God is for us? Verse 34 describes in just a few phrases what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus is doing for us in order to prove that God is for us. First of all, Jesus died. Paul has told us in Romans leading up to here time and time again, over and over again, that, that we are sinners in need of a savior and we have no hope of paying the price for our sin. Uh, our, it's a death sentence. But Jesus died to pay that penalty, to serve our sentence for us. Uh, we can be justified, proclaimed free. It's just as if I'd never sinned because we applied Jesus' death to our lives. And so Jesus died for us. Uh, it's the center of what we celebrate today, right on Easter. Jesus died, but there's more. Verse 34 goes on to say uh, that Jesus was raised to life. Not only can we be freed from the penalty of sin, but we can be raised to new life in Jesus because he didn't stay dead. He didn't remain in the grave. Jesus was and is victorious over sin and death. Of course, that's central to what we celebrate today as well. Not only Jesus' death, but also his resurrection. He's alive and we can live because he is risen. Jesus died. Jesus was raised to life, but there's still more. Verse 34 goes on to say, Jesus is reigning as king right now. Jesus has been given the highest place in the universe. He is sitting at the right hand of God. It's a place of honor. It's a place of authority. And what is he doing there? Well, he is reigning as king and he is interceding for you. Jesus intercedes for you. Most of the time we think interceding, we think about praying. Maybe, maybe this kind of this, this vague word or a church word. Uh, a lot of times we, oh, we're, we're interceding on someone's behalf. We're praying for them. And, and certainly that's, that's involved there. Even a, a few verses earlier, just last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit doing the same thing for us, uh, praying when we can't pray ourselves. Uh, but, but, but intercession is even more than just prayer. The, the image here, if we go back to the original language, the image here is of an advocate aggressively defending those who follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is defending us before the Father. It's not just praying for us and hoping for the best, but it's an aggressive defending. Jesus died. Jesus was raised to life. Jesus is reigning as king and defending you. Is an advocate for you. The one who died for you is on your side. The one who overcame death has plans for your life. The one who is in the highest place of authority is working on your behalf. And all of that and more is wrapped up in that one little phrase, four words, God is for us. It's interesting to see in this passage a couple of main problems addressed. Uh, Again, as Paul is kind of bringing this first section of of the whole letter to a a culmination, uh, he talks about two two main things, condemnation and separation. Uh, Two two things uh, that that, that have been problems for humanity uh, since the beginning. Uh, In verse 34, he says, who is it that condemns? In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Those two main problems have been around since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God created a perfect world and he he fashioned man and woman and they enjoyed intimate fellowship together. Uh, Adam and Eve enjoyed evening walks with their creator and they had had wonderful uh, community and and, and they enjoyed this, this relationship together. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed and that resulted in their guilt and they were condemned condemnation 
It also resulted in their separation from God. They hid from God when he came to walk with them in the garden. And, and as a result of their, of their sin, they were banished from, from the garden. And that intimacy that they had enjoyed with God was no more. They were separated from him. So, for, so from that time until Jesus, the relationship between God and humanity was characterized by condemnation and separation. But now Paul says, because of Jesus, because God is for us, he says, who can then can condemn? No one. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. And if you look in the Greek at the word for nothing, um, it, it means nothing. <laughs> Like nothing, <laughs> like uh, zip, zilch, not a, uh, not a thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, in case that's not explicit enough, Paul actually goes on and, and gives a list of things that cannot separate us from the love of God. First, he gives a list of, of physical things, uh, troubles here in this life. And I want you to notice that, that God doesn't uh, say, or Paul doesn't say that God's love exempts us from those troubles in this life. Uh, things like trouble and hardship and persecution actually kind of pretty much insinuates that those things are going to be in our lives, but they never have the last word for those who follow Jesus, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if that wasn't enough, next comes a whole list of, of supernatural things, and he's, he's kind of putting these in, in couples, angels and demons and, and, and powers, and, and, and there's issues of time and space, and, and it just goes on and on, and, and you can just tell that, that Paul's getting awful excited here as he's, he's given this letter, and he's laying out all these, uh, these theological points and these arguments and all these things, and he comes to this, and, and he's getting excited, and he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's, he actually says, we are more than conquerors. If, if, again, if we look at the Greek, this was for real this time. If you, uh, if, if you look at the, the, the Greek there, it's actually can be translated, we are super conquerors. I mean, Marvel has nothing on us. Iron Man is, you know, nothing. We are super conquerors. Paul says, uh, w- when he gets to the end of, of all of these natural and supernatural things that, 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 uh, that, that could separate us, that maybe appear to separate us from the love of God, Paul wants to make sure that we get it. And so he says, oh, there's all these things and nothing can separate us and, and nothing condemns us and, and all these things, none of that can do it, none of that can, and he, he finally gets to, or anything else, if I missed anything in this list, anything else in all creation, none of it can separate us from the love of God. How do we know? It's all centered on our Savior and our Redeemer, the one who died and rose again, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is for us. God loves us. Nothing can separate us from that love. Just look at Jesus. We never have to wonder, he loves me? He loves me not. It's always he loves me. And we know because of Jesus. I was reminded this week of a the words uh, in, in some of a narration of a choir musical I was in years ago, I, I'm not even sure why it all came back to me, but, uh, but, but I found it, and uh, I'll read part of it to you today, talking about Jesus and talking about God and his love for us and how much he is for us. It says, my friend, you can trust God today. He is good, and he is good all the time. But as you focus on his goodness, don't miss his greatness. He is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is the superlative of all excellence. He is the sum of human greatness. He is the source of divine grace. 
He is the only one able to save, and His blood is the only power able to cleanse. His ear is open to the sinner's call. His hand is quick to lift the fallen soul. He's the eternal lover of us all, everyone, and you can trust Him. He supplies mercy for the struggling soul. He sustains the tempted and the tired. He symbolizes with the, he sympathizes with the wounded and the broken. He strengthens the weak and the weary. He guards and guides the wanderer. He heals the sick and cleanses the leper. He delivers the captive and defends the helpless. He is for you and you can trust him. Jesus is the key to all knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He is the gateway to glory, and you can trust him. Jesus is enough. He's the all-sufficient king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And yes, you can trust him. And rejoice in this. He is a sovereign king. There is no gauge to measure his limitless love. There is no barrier to block his blessings outpoured. He is enduringly strong and he is entirely supreme. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally faithful. He is imperially powerful and he is impartially merciful. He is Jesus, God's son, and you can trust him. I wish I could more accurately describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't fault him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't conquer him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is the God of the future and the God of the past, and we rise to speak his name again and again. Jesus, he is Jesus, he is for us, and we can trust him. God is for you. If you had any doubt coming in here today, if you wondered, if you, well, all this stuff is going on in my life, all this stuff is going on in the world, I wonder where God is in all of this. God is for you. And you can trust him. You can't always see it. You're not always sure exactly where it, where it all is. If you could always see it all the time, I guess that makes you God and not him, right? But, but you can trust that God is on the throne. How do we know that he is for us? Look at Jesus. That's where our hope comes from. As I said before, hope seems to be in short supply these days uh, as we deal with anxiety and fear. But I don't see any room for anxiety or fear in Romans chapter 8. <laughs> Paul says, sure, there's trouble and hardship and persecution, but in all these things, we are super conquerors, he says. Why? Because God loves us, <laughs> because God is for us, because we can trust him, because the same God who did not spare his only son gave him up for us all. And if he can do that, there is no doubt that he is for you and you can trust him through anything. This Easter, our hope begins in the resurrection and lives on as Jesus reigns in heaven for all eternity. God is for you.